Terry Wallace once said Nathan Brown ruined his coaching career at Richmond and he was only half joking. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Mike. Very humbled to be here. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. Let's just listen to what your old coach said on SEN recently. They were introducing you and Plough said, he ruined my coaching career getting injured. That wouldn't have surprised you, would it? There's been a lot of talk about that fateful night at Etihad Stadium when you broke your leg. Yeah, we were flying that year, 2005. I think we were second on the ladder. I don't think I ruined his coaching career. Um, <laughs> I just think we had a game plan that probably revolved around me and Richo doing what we do up in the forward line. We are getting enough ball in there at that point. Um, and then I was out of there and everything was left to Richo. We didn't have another small forward to take up that role. I don't think I wrecked his coaching career, though. Well, well for the record, Richmond was 7-2 at the time, going into the round 10 game against Melbourne. You kicked two goals against Melbourne that night before the injury. That's 34 in 10 games. Uh, and you were equal second on the ladder. You finished the year in 12th place with only three more wins. In fact, Plough said to me recently, I spoke to him about that patch, he said that was the best 10-game stretch of games by any, he play, any player he coached in 240-odd games, including Grant, Johnson and West at, at the Bulldogs and Richo at Richmond. Now, that 10 weeks was my favourite time in footy, mm. bar none. I mean, it was the happiest I was. We were winning footy. Um, I, I couldn't have wished for anything more. When players say that they, they felt heavy in the legs or they just felt a bit slow that day, for those 10 weeks, I, was, I felt like I was running on top of the ground. There was nothing... I couldn't do in those 10 weeks. I mean, every ball that came down, I thought I was going to take it. Every centre bounce I took, I thought I'd get the ball. It was just one of those magical periods where everything falls your way. Like, it can happen for, you know, five or ten minutes in a quarter, but it happened for 10 weeks. Um, it was on the back of a massive pre-season. Uh, Which was I, unusual for you. was unusual for me. It was the fittest I'd ever been. Um, and for that 10 weeks, I've never enjoyed uh, football as much as I did. And... Uh, I'm happy that I had those 10 weeks. I didn't win a premiership, um, anything like that. But those 10 weeks, I can look back and go, wow, that was, that's what AFL footy's about. Well, you were the most exciting forward in the comp, I reckon, in that period. But you blokes, you and Richo might have got a fraction ahead of yourself at that time. <laughs> and after round nine, mate, did you and Richo find your way to the Railway Hotel in South Melbourne? Not just me and Richo. It was the whole club. So oh, it was it all really? the players we'd organised. It was back then you could go out... And have a few beers, and uh, it must be said that we'd had uh, at least 12 pots at that stage. You're only up to 12 pots. 12 pots at that six, stage. Six days before your next engagement. Six days before the next engagement. And we were then going from the railway and we're walking to the, the motel, which is now the Albion, which Dane Swan owns. Um, and Richo and myself were talking about how good we were going. So this is, this is, this is the karma bus sort of knocking me mm. over because mm. at that stage I was second on the Coleman and I think second in the Brownlow. So I was saying to all the boys that I was going to win the Brownlow and that Richo was going to win the Coleman and that we're, but on the back of us two we were going to win the Premiership and then five days later I broke my leg and that was all done and dusted. Well, you're injured mid-season 2005 you played the first three games in 2006, and that was a mistake. It was. I came back too early, um, and I, I wanted to prove to the world that I could get back and I could be the player that I was. Um, if I had my time over again, I reckon I would have sat out the first half of the year and had a full 12 months off. Um, I knew that my bone hadn't... Uh, there was no union on my bone, so there was still a little bit that needed to heal, um, and I thought I could get through. I thought I could play through the pain, but I couldn't. 
and it was affecting my lateral movement, which was probably my greatest strength as a footballer, being able to move laterally mm -hmm. in and out of trouble um, and get to a ball quicker than others. And I reckon in that period, um, I, I, I made mistakes. I, I probably overruled the, the, the fitness staff and the, and the doctors to say that I'm right to go, I'm ready. And uh, those first three weeks of 2006 were probably set me back a long time and I don't think I was ever the same player again. Did you ever get close to the form of the first half of 2005? Uh, no. The 2007 pre-season, I did the full pre-season um, and felt really good. So 2006 was a wipeout in the end. I only played nine or ten games. Um, did the full pre-season. We played a practice match up in Mildura against Collingwood and I kicked five that day and played through the middle as well. And I felt that I was as good as what I was. I felt fit. Felt confident. It was the last practice match before round one. Um, and you might remember we were going through a drought at that stage and the grounds were really, really dry. I remember sitting down in the rooms after the game and I, I felt where my leg was broken. Um, it was a lot of pain. So I thought, I better ice that. I haven't had pain in that since, you know, uh, early last year. So I iced it. Um, ended up on crutches the next day. Uh, went and got scans uh, when we got back to Melbourne. And uh, I had a stress fracture just above where I'd broken my leg and then missed the first 11 games of 2007. And, um, and then, I, yeah, never got back to anywhere near where I was after that. It was the injury, initial injury when Matty Whelan fell across your leg was one of the most sickening incidents that any of us would have seen on TV or at the game. Have you watched it? Or did you try to avoid it? I mean, Terry Wallace has never watched it and, and refuses to. Yeah, I've watched it many times. Every now and again, my mates will send me a text with the, uh, the footage to it. So um, I can watch it. Um, it's... It's, it's still raw. I mean, it's still... I, I look at it and I see how much pain it was and how much recovery it was. Um, but then again, I was lucky to play as much footy as I did. That slowed me down. But it was just at a point where I reckon I was playing my very best footy. I reckon I wasted a bit of my talent in my early days by being lazy and, and not doing the right things. And I reckon that period of three years leading up to that, I'd trained really hard to get where I was and I was playing some really serious footy. Um, those first 10 weeks of 2005, I, uh, I reckon I was probably the most influential player in the AFL. Or probably, I mean, Michael Voss was playing, Buckley were playing, these amazing players, but I don't think anybody was having the influence I was having in those first 10 games. And to have that cut down and mm. then not go anywhere after that, it's a bit disappointing, but it was great to have those 10 weeks as well. Nathan, when you were being carried off Eddie had with the broken leg and it was just such an horrific sight. You seem remarkably calm, stoic even. It's a good word, stoic. Right, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a lot of my mates think that was my, my, my greatest moment uh, of, of showing courage. I, I must admit, <laughs> it, it hurt unbelievably as soon as I did it. Like that first two minutes when you snap your leg, as you'd imagine any person who snaps a bone, it just hurts what the doctor told me is then uh, your body takes over shock and, and you, you, I guess you're in shock a little bit and for some reason it masks the pain. Um, and I must admit, I wasn't in a lot of pain on the stretcher going off um, and uh, I didn't have that green thing until I got in the ambulance, so I hadn't had any pain killing. The green thing is the morphine stick. The morphine, right? the yep, hillbilly yep. heroin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't get that until, I, I'll tell you what, when I got in the ambulance I was feeling good. I was on the phone texting people, but the moment where I went into the rooms and the doctor, who was Dr Greg Hickey, said, so the bones that overlapped, so they'd broken, but then that overlapped, 
So probably six or eight inches shorter was my right leg. Really? And he had to actually pull uh, the, the, the leg and re sort of realign the bone because if it stays like that for too long, you can complications of yeah. um, being amputated and all that sort of stuff. And when he pulled that leg, I've never ever felt pain like that. And uh, I reckon I shed a tear at that point um, and then got into the ambulance, got the sucker and... Um, yeah, but uh, it was just... The, the the surgeon said it was one of the worst broken legs he's seen. It was mm. like a, a car accident victim. Mm. He goes, he'd seen broken legs on footy fields where it just snaps and, you know, you've got four pieces of bone, two and two. He goes, yours was shattered. There was bits and pieces everywhere. He goes, it was like a... Yeah, it was like somebody had hit you in a car. Gee. Take us back to the start when you arrived at the Bulldogs, Nathan. Long-haired boy from Bendigo, full of confidence. You were a cheeky bugger, weren't you? I was. I turned up... In no fit state to be an AFL player, I don't reckon. I was... Um, drafted at number 10. Drafted at number 10. Um, played Benigo Pioneers and um, I'd got by on, on pure talent in the under-18s and there was no... Uh... <laughs> That's one of the great crops. I wish my hair was still thick enough to, to pull that off. But, um, yeah, it was just... It was an eye-opener. I was a kid from Benigo who... Uh, his mum had done everything for him and to go down in AFL world and be competing against Liberatore, Romero, um, Danny Southern was at the footy club, Matthew Dent, all these hardened men who were mm. 27, 28, 29. It was a, it was a massive wake-up call for me. Mm. But, but Plough took you under his wing, didn't he? He was your coach then. He did. Yeah, and he was sort of almost your football father. He was. He was, uh, he was really good to me. He saw something in me that a lot of people uh, at the footy club probably didn't, and I was a completely different player to him, and for some reason he liked that. Plough... He indicated to me, Nathan, that he would have you in his office most Mondays and just review your weekend's activities and remind <laughs> you of your responsibilities. Is that fair? It, it is fair. Um, I used to like to go out and have a drink and, and have a good time. That's what I did uh, as a young kid in Bendigo and that's what I continue to do. Uh, it didn't really click for me that I was uh, required to be a bit more professional than what I was um, and I'd go out and... Get on the source regularly on the weekends, and then uh, I used to get in the occasional fight um, every now and again. And it's strange because I can't fight. I, I seem to get and in a lot of fights. Looks too that a you lot want of to fights for a bloke that couldn't fight at all. <laughs> and I used to rock up the training with a black eye every now and again or a scratch face. But um, I was I was still eight, 18, 18, 19, which 18 and 19 year olds do now. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just having a good time. Yeah, I'm interested in your, in your tennis life too, because you were, I've seen you firsthand. You're yep. a very good tennis player, uh, and you were an aspiring tennis player at sort of 14, were you not? Yeah, yeah. Did you? Can you remember going to uh, some champion, some championships <laughs> at uh, Melbourne Park at about 14? Yeah, I can. Did you get into trouble? I did. What did you do? Good uh, research from you. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. Um, well. For... <laughs> So it was under the 14 national championships and I'd found my way in underneath where they keep all the equipment for centre court and um, there was a, like a, a golf buggy down there. I don't know why there was a golf buggy there, but it had the keys in it. Uh, so me and another guy drove it out in the centre court and started doing donuts <laughs> on centre court and, uh, and um, we nearly got kicked out of the tournament. My mum had to go up to the tournament officials and beg uh, for us to be kept in the tournament. Um, so what goes through a young man's mind? You knew you'd have to get into trouble for doing that, didn't you? I wasn't a bad kid. I just... No, no, I'm saying I'm talking about this specific example of taking a yeah, buggy think... onto centre court at Rod Labor yep. and doing well. There was no one in the stadium at that point. 
I didn't realise there would be people watching from somewhere else. But um, I don't. A lot of things I did, I didn't really think about at that age, and uh, probably lucky to get where I did in later life. Did you lose a tennis sponsorship because you'd broke some, broken so many rackets? Yes, playing up at in Queensland, up at Milton, and um, playing on centre court up there. In I think it was the under fourteens again. I had an argument with a with a kid down the other end. I thought that he was cheating. Um, and called him a few names and then smashed my racket, got my second racket out through that into the stand. And they were Prince rackets. I was sponsored by Prince at the time. And that week I received a letter from Prince saying that uh, we're no longer uh, going to sponsor you because of your uh, erratic behaviour. So I decided it's probably time to, to uh, focus on footy. When did, when did you, that attitude, when did you lose that sort of wild spirit? Um, oh... I don't think I've ever lost well, it. So you, well, so you took it to Footscray, to yeah. the Bulldogs, yeah. took it to Footscray. I reckon 2000, when I started to get really serious about footy and I started, stopped going out Friday and Saturday night or Sunday night, going to the Star Bar um, and having a good time. So I reckon I'd played four years and I, I still remember the moment that I think Plout had a chat to my old man and... I went back to Bendigo for the weekend and the old man said, oh, I need to talk to you about something, come down to the pub and, and have a pot. So I went down to a pub called the, the Braille Arms Hotel in, in Bendigo um, and sat closer than what me and you are here and my old man just reached over and smashed me on the jaw with the best right hook that I didn't see coming and basically said, you need to wake up to yourself. You're wasting your talent. You're wasting everything that me and your mother have given you. Um, he goes, I want you to go back to Melbourne and do the best you can. Otherwise, you're just a waste. Fairly dramatic law enforcement, wasn't it, by your dad? It was. It was. But um, Did you resent it? Did you, how did you react to that? No. I, uh, I reckon I knew it was coming. Not, not, not the punch. I didn't see the punch coming. I didn't expect... But I, I knew he was going to give it to me. Um, and I knew I'd probably hadn't lived up to my ability or my talent. Um, and I reckon anybody in life, they probably know what people think about them and what they're doing wrong. It just takes somebody that, you, I guess, you respect to, uh, to lay that out for you. But you weren't everyone's cup of tea, were you? And you would have known that. No. Um, I don't think I was the other assistant coach's cup of tea. Um, to getting in trouble, I probably didn't work hard enough. I think, I think there's a lot of people who did everything they possibly could and got the most out of themselves to play AFL footy. Um, and I was getting by on, on pure talent. Um, but then Tony Liberatore took me under his wing. And um, so this was a 31-year-old guy who won a Brownlow medal. Um, and he'd make me go running on a Monday morning and a Wednesday morning at 6 in the morning. So he'd come with me and he'd run. He'd, he'd still have to play that weekend. Um, and then that changed my focus, that someone as good as him and as, as professional as him would take the time out to make me better. And run at 6am where he didn't have to do that. He, he was just trying to make me better and make our team better because he could obviously see the talent. Those who you know you well said your wife's been a sobering influence on you, made a huge impact on your life. She has. She has. Um, many people ask me, do I regret leaving the Bulldogs because we probably could have won a premiership there. They played three, brown, uh, three prelims in a row. Um, I went out for dinner one night with Andrew Rains and Brett Deledio, who were my Richmond teammates, and that's where I met my wife, um, and I don't think I've ever, ever... If I didn't go to Richmond, I wouldn't have met her. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, she's been the greatest influence on my life since then. I reckon I might have been off the rails a little bit towards the end of my career, similar to the start, but, um, yeah, she's, she's certainly... I don't want to say she's straightened up my life or figured out my life. I think she's made me better. Mm -hmm. she, she brought out 
the best part of me. You mentioned drugs before. Yep. Do you remember me coming to interview at your <laughs> your your house? I do. <coughs> and there was a crushed white substance yeah. in the bathroom. And it was Panadol. It was Panadol. We'd go, I, I didn't accuse you of anything. I'd been at training, mm. and I'd had some Panadol. And it gets down to the bottom of your uh, toiletries bag, yeah. and I, I was cleaning up as you were coming in, and the white powder did fall out into the bathroom. So I was worried that you might have thought <laughs> that I'd been racking up lots of cocaine in the bathroom. Did you? You were worried enough to ring me at work? Weren't I you? was. Yeah. 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 You don't want anybody to think that uh, that's the sort of thing you get up to. Well, you know, people of my age wouldn't know anyway. I, would, I wouldn't have known what it was. I was surprised it was, was still there. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, your on-field behaviour... I mean, I, look, I don't want this to sound like we're just smashing you about the way yeah. you lived your football career because you were an outstanding player. There was no question about it. And I love watching you play. Um, but I remember there was a game against Geelong when you kicked seven goals. Do you remember this game? At yes. Optus Oval? Some of your celebrations after goals, one of which apparently, according to the Geelong blokes, just sparked them into action. Right. And they ended up winning the game. Yeah, about ten minutes into the third quarter, I drove one off the pack and ran into an open goal. Like, there was no-one between me and 50. And it was just one of those things, like, you asked me, why did I do silly things? I don't know. I was running into an open goal. For some reason, I put the ball above my head and ran ten metres with the ball and kicked it through. I mean, I was a 20-year-old, 19-year-old, and I just kicked seven goals in two-and-a-half quarters and... I was pretty happy. I was pretty happy with myself. And, um, yeah, if that did sting them into action, I mean, um, good for them. But uh, we ended up losing that game and mm. certainly I wasn't the, uh, the favourite of the president or the coach that night. What did they say? Uh, just that we don't want you to act like that. We don't want you to be a lair. I mean, maybe last five minutes of the game when the game's sewn up, not probably when the game's on the line, so... Um, was that fair? Did you take that on the chin? That, that, that was internally. Mm. Publicly plough back me, as you mm. always did. So, uh, yeah, internally. Yeah, copped it on the chin. Mm. Um, didn't learn too much from it, though, I would have thought. Because <laughs> I did it against North Melbourne a couple of years later. Did you really? And yeah, David King actually came up to me and, he's, and he said... Because uh, I held the ball out to David King and ran him open goal. And he came up and started bumping me with that big chest he's got. He's gone, that's going to come back to haunt you. I said, not today, Kingy. We're 26 <laughs> points up. And we lost again. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about your antics, let's go back to the year 2000. Yep. You played, the Doggies played Brisbane in an elimination final at the Gabba. Uh, the Lions won. The next morning, you were seen in the gloom trying to swim the Brisbane River. Do you remember that? I do. It wasn't what? the next morning, it was part of that night. Oh, that, that night, was it? Yeah. Just before sunrise? Just before, it was about 6.30 mm. um, and we'd obviously been bundled out and we all went up to Luke Darcy's room and we're still drinking to the early hours of the morning. Um, and Darcy uh, started saying, looking out the window, that the Brisbane was about 200 metres across um, mm. and he dared me that I couldn't swim across the river. Yes. So I took that challenge on. So you fell for that, didn't so you? So put up 100 bucks. Yeah. And Plough, who was always in my corner, said, I'll swim it with him. He goes, I can't let my player go out there on his own. He goes, I'm going to go with him. So we all went down to the riverside, stripped off, swam across, because there was a massive cliff on the other side. And I said, how are we going to get back? He said, we're going to have to swim back. <laughs> Little did we know that there's sharks and all mm. sorts of things in there, which... When you're drunk, you don't think no. of and It must be said. Plough tries to say that he was out for a, 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 a leisurely stroll running in the morning. 
He was out with us, and he was he was. Is that right? Because he, he told he'd me he had a good go with us. He told me he was on the leisurely stroll, yeah, and he just wasn't on happened a leisurely stroll. Happened across you guys. Now, um, was there a hovercraft that nearly collected? Nearly, us? nearly collected us. Yeah, uh, but that was about the point. That was two thousand, which I told you that I reckon I, my talent I'd wasted for the first four years by not mm -hmm. working hard enough. He had a heart to heart with me in the middle of the Brisbane River. He said that about uh, where I was heading with my footy and and. Um, and what I should do, and he held my head under the water. I wasn't a great swimmer. And uh, he started saying, what are you going to do? He started holding my head under the water. He goes, are you going to fight? Are you going to fight? And I didn't know what to do. I was half drowning. Um, and he was trying to inspire me, wow. to, to, I don't know, to get to the edge or to so play he held you under? Next year, he dunked me under. To ha hammer the message home. Hammer the message home that I needed to work harder. Why did you leave the Bulldogs when you, you'd had two 50-goal-plus years yep. in a row and suddenly you're gone? I mean, I know they weren't behind the ladder, but did you not see... A bright future for them? Yeah, we finished um, out of the eights in 2002 and then we finished on the bottom in 2003. Peter Rode came in as the coach. Not that I had a different opinion with Rhoda. Um, I just thought that we could be doing things better. Um, and then Campbell Rose had come in um, as, the, as the CEO of the footy club and I didn't get along with him. Um, I don't think many people got along with Campbell Rose, um, and the contract negotiations were happening, and Campbell Rose was sitting there going, "Well, this is what we're going to offer you. We're not you going to offer what it you. was. Uh, yeah, we're not going to offer you any more. We're not going to offer you a cent more. There was nothing outside of football. Um, so the offer back then was three hundred and twenty-five grand a year, um, and I was already on that. Three twenty-five a year, and it was the same same as what I was on previous. That's not bad money, Nathan. Um, but then you've got other clubs um, offering. Things outside of football, uh, you know, introducing the business interest, property deals, um, all sorts of things. So, on one hand, these guys are looking after me and trying to offer me the world, whereas the club where I'd been for many years had just brought this new guy in and he was ruling with an iron fist going, mm -hmm. well, this is what you're going to play for and uh, this is what the offer is. If you don't like it, piss off. So I said, well, I will. I will. Now, so you go to Richmond and uh, inevitably some people would say, Plough ends up at Richmond as your coach. Yep. You helped lure Plough to Richmond, didn't you? Yeah, at that time there was um, Plough, there was Alistair Clarkson um, available. So we were in a Plough's house, myself, Wayne Campbell and Kane Johnson, um, just laid out where we think the footy club, what players we think could take us forward and we asked him his opinions because he, I think he was still deciding Hawthorne were chasing him mm -hmm. as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just laid out where we thought the footy club was and... Um, and then he decided to take us on, which at the time was amazing. We thought, how good is this? And for the first half of his first year, when we were 7-2, yeah, yeah. um, I remember he had a simple theory. He goes, if we don't win it in the middle, he goes, we want to win it in the middle, contested footy, win the ball, go forward. If we don't, we want to get it at half back, defend, and then you've got the biggest part of the ground to run laterally because he was very big on handball running, handball receives. And then as soon as we get past the middle... You focus in in the forwards. It was a very simple game plan, which served us really well for the first half of the year. After I broke my leg, the game plan changed and everything started to fall apart. It ended badly for Plough at Richmond. It did. Um, I suspect he's probably a better coach than his public image would suggest. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree. To take Richmond, who we finished on the bottom in 2004, to be flying in the midpoint of 2005... The wheels fell off a bit. Um, and then towards the end, I think the game changed. Um, Paul Ruse was the new coach. Um, 
and it'd become a lot more defensive. Alistair new Clarkson coach, was... Ruzier, new coach at Sydney. New coach yeah. at Sydney. Yeah. Um, and the better sides were now playing this lockdown defensive game plan um, where Plough had always been the open attacking. Mm. Um, we're better than you at running. We're better than you at skills. And he tried to change, but I reckon he was so far into his the original game plan he had to change mid-year and try and do something different. I reckon the wheels fell off. Um, and I reckon he... he he, he struggled to change from the attack to defence. Um, and I reckon by the time that we almost got it right, he'd been there three or four years, people calling for his head, and, um, yeah, eventually made way. But uh, i tell you what, before that, as innovative as a coach as you'll ever see. In, in your commentary role, Nathan, if you see someone who you think their behaviour's wayward, a bit out of step or they're a bit loose, are you critical of them? Um, I, I have been a little bit in the past, but not too much because I realise that people do need leeway. I mean, one of my favourite players is Toby Green. I love the way he goes about it. I yep. love the arrogance that he comes with. I mean, yeah, he's been in trouble for drinking and fighting and all that sort of stuff, but I see myself in him as a young, as a young man. Good call. But yeah. as far as, footy, as a footy player goes, I mean, he's, he's going to be one of the best. Just under your profession or your, yeah, your work life, you work with a betting agency. Yes. You've got four kids, one of whom is a boy. Are yep. you worried about this, like most of us in the community, about the, uh, the relentless attack of sort of betting agencies on the minds of young kids? There's, there's a hell of a lot of um, betting companies around and they all do the same thing. Betting used to be... Well, it should be. It's a, it's a fun thing that you do with your mates or you go down to the pub or you, you go and put a quaddy on and it's become... Um, thought of as something different because there are so many betting ads on. But I'm going to give my kids every bit of knowledge I possibly can for them to make the right decision. Am I going to say to my kid, I don't want you to gamble? No, he's, he's going to make his own decisions. If he wants to go down to the pub with his mates and put a quaddy on, I mean, I'm not going to say not to. I think um, it's part of the Australian culture to, but, have, but, to have a punt. But that's not what you blokes are doing. You're, you're not targeting someone who goes down to the pub and puts the odd quaddy on. You're not interested in them. We're interested in all, all types of punters. We, we, I mean, we, we are the market leader. Sports better the market leader at responsible gambling. We put together responsible gambling ads, um, everything we possibly can. We are the market leader, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to stand by that. It doesn't sit uncomfortably with you, though, that the fact that you're a father of four and you work in the gambling industry? No, it doesn't. No. Um, that's my decision, the, the decision I take on. And when I took the role on with Sportsbet, my wife brought up that very same thing. She said, is there a stigma attached to gambling? And there, of course there's a stigma. There's some people that don't like gambling and there are other people that do. I hope to give my kids the, the education that when they make their decisions, they make them um, for the good of themselves. You're not unhappy with anything you've done, are you? you know, I mean, it seems to all sit OK with you. Yeah. It's just part of your life. I, I don't genuinely care what people think about me and, or if I've done something silly or what sort of player I was, but uh, I didn't win a premiership. That's the one thing that really irks me. I mean, when I walk into a room and there's premiership players, or I come here to Fox Footy or I go to Triple M and there's players who've won premierships, um, that irks me. And every day um, I think about, well, not every day, but a lot of the times I think about, I would have loved to have won a premiership. That's what you play footy for. Mm. And that's the one regret I do have. Um, out of my hands, obviously. Um, but yeah, missed out in a premiership. But everything else, I mean, I love footy. I, yeah. I, I loved playing. And those 10 weeks in 2005, I mean, it was the greatest moment 
I think. Hey, it was, it was, as you've said, and I, as I testified to, that was a brilliant 10-week period. It shouldn't cover the fact that you're a very good player, both at the Bulldogs and Richmond, and a sort of player that I did like watching, even though I'm sort of considered on the moral high ground occasionally and bag players for their behaviour, I love the fact that you had that sort of spunk. Uh, it was a great career. Could have been better with a flag. Could have been. Uh, but you've got to be, uh, and you are, you're satisfied with what you've done and you're entitled to be. I am. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Nathan. Cheers, Mike.